It's great to welcome you and greet you as once again we gather as the Christ Journey family. Christ Journey Church right here in Miami. Our campuses welcome you. We welcome those of you who are joining us, Church Online, across the nation, around the world, and we are praying God's blessing for you. And I want us to start today with a declaration of faith. Would you repeat after me, all of our campuses? Nothing is too hard for God. Bless you in that. And we're so thankful that you're with us today. Has it bothered you that we are calling this series when your happy ever after isn't? You know, have you wondered, why didn't they call it happily? Don't they know it's happily ever after? Why doesn't somebody fix that? I mean, this is the third time I've come, the third message in the series, and it still says happy ever after. When your happy ever after isn't, why it should be happily ever after. Why hasn't they fixed that? Why hasn't somebody gotten a clue? Now, you know what? We would call that around here a mental snag. It's something that when you see it, it snags your mind, right? And, um, and you know what else? We did it on purpose. And you know why we did it? Because this series is about that kind of experience. Fairy tale, what we thought were going to be fairy tale scenarios that don't turn out the way we expected. Something snags. And somewhere we are left to uh, question. And you know what else? When these issues that we are facing in this series show up in our lives, addiction, drug abuse, unwanted pregnancy, abortion, same-sex and gender concerns. When, and then when people become aware of these issues, you know what? Something they think is off, they tend to snag. And, uh, and then they respond in the same way, don't we? I mean, something's not right here. Hadn't they seen that yet? Why haven't they fixed that? We kind of kick into fix-it mode, and we act like it's supposed to be a quick, easy fix, but it isn't. And especially when it's not our issue or the issue of somebody we love. And you know what's happening in our culture. When somebody kicks into fix-it mode, other people snag and say, why are you trying to fix it? You're the one that needs to be fixed. And so we got lots of snags going on. And, and we act as if it's gonna be a quick, easy fix, and it isn't, right? It's not like simple math or grammar. Humor, human life is messier than that, and some snags are not easily fixable. They're complicated. They're messy. They're fraught with, um, with moral shame and blame and stigma. Maybe you've realized that in some way, uh, in some sense, every topic in this series is one of those. It has a snag in it. It's an issue involving moral shame, blame, and stigma, which is why these are so hard to talk about in our culture, which is why we don't talk about them in our culture. Typically, we don't talk about them unless we're blaming or we're saying, why don't they fix that? Today's topic is another one of those. And there's no absence of pain around it. 
It was an issue in Jesus' time. It's an issue in our time. I guess it's been an issue for the recorded history of humanity, divorce and adultery. The book, The Scarlet Letter, written in 1850, considered a masterpiece of American literature, is about a married woman who has an adulterous affair with the town preacher and a child out of wedlock from it. As punishment, the townspeople, since uh, they sentenced the woman to wear the scarlet letter A somewhere on her body for the rest of her life. It's a sign of guilt and shame and blame and moral failure and social stigma. I've heard people since also speak of the scarlet letter D for divorce. And though society's standards have shifted on both issues, I'm not so sure that the blame, shame, stigma Uh, the pain of the collective um, mind of the divorced has. Now, forgive me for jumping right into the deep end so quickly, but we'll only be here briefly. But I need to say, from my observation in ministry with couples and families going through divorce, this is tough. This is hard. This is a tough issue that touches us in tender places. It's like an amputation without anesthesia. It's like losing a significant part of your life in an unspeakably painful process that, uh, that also involves this sense of moral or personal failure. Um, I don't believe anybody marries thinking, I'll divorce. No, we're thinking what? Happy ever after or happily ever after is what we're thinking, right? And then when happy ever after isn't, what happens? We kick into this monster roller coaster of emotion guilt, shame, fear, anxiety, embarrassment, panic, depression, anger, revenge, sometimes grief, sadness, loneliness, rage, numbness, and uh, sometimes euphoria and even relief. Family structure and foundations are shifted forever, moving psychologically from being married. To being single is not, is not a small identity transition. Kids, kids uh, sometimes worry if my parents could stop loving each other, they could stop loving me too. Sometimes children, a child feels like the divorce is their fault, like it's something they did. Other times they might feel like, you know, I guess I'm just not uh, valuable enough, I'm not good enough for my parent to stay. And they internalize that. Teens can be very angry, very resentful about the entire process. And did you know, studies seem to show that um, adults who experience divorce in their childhood have more relational difficulties in store. And so for these and more reasons that could be listed, it's not hard to see why the Bible would say God hates divorce. Malachi 2.6, God hates divorce. Now my experience with people that are going through it is that they're not big fans either. But in my years of ministry, I can also say it happens. And there are some reasons for it. Abuse is one of them, physical abuse, emotional abuse, from a husband to a wife, from a wife to a husband. You know, um, abuse is not married love. Couples are to love and cherish one another, not belittle and abuse each other. Another reason is abandonment. You know, the wife just leaves. A husband just leaves. 
Abandonment isn't married love. That's a violation. It's like somebody should throw a flag on the play, right? Remember you said in richer or poorer, sickness and health, <laughs> till death do us part. And, and abandonment violates that. Another way the vow breaks is through addiction. I've seen addiction destroy marriages. A husband's gambling, a wife's drinking, a pornography addiction. I've seen adversity leave couples splitting up. Financial debt in particular, financial trouble. Marriage is a challenge as it is, but, and, and financially speaking, oh my, what a challenge. But when you add the weight of debt to it, sometimes it can be devastating. Which just as an aside, I'm so excited we're offering a workshop, Win the War with Debt, to help couples conquer that monster. So that's worth checking out. Um, but I've seen same-sex attraction do it too. One spouse declares they're gay and then divorces the other. And there it is. Snag, snag. Now, on that happy note, <laughs> may I show you what our survey said? Over 500 people responding, 30% of us said we've personally gone through it. 37% say our parents have, which means that we're a child who witnessed divorce on that level. 4% our children have, 24% our brothers and sisters, 29% our extended family, 38% of our close friendships. Now, if we add to that what we said about cheating, over 50% of us said that we've been cheated on and that our, our parents, 31% of our parents have, 31% of our close friends affected by a cheating partner. Now, I don't assume that everybody who's experienced, responding to that experience has jumped on that monster roller coaster of emotion that I just mentioned, but I think it is honest for me to say, you know what, we're not strangers when it comes to divorce. Am I right? Only 14% of us said we were unaffected by that. The low number of children is a beautiful thing, by the way. That means that unlike us or our, or our parents, they haven't had to survive its trauma so far. But it's kind of obvious that divorce disrupts the happy ever after. So generally speaking, here's the teaching of Scripture. Here's what God says. Marriage is good. In an earlier message, we said that marriage is good. God meant marriage to be good for us and our children and our families. Marriage is a good thing from a good God. Divorce is bad. That's the general teaching. You know, it's to be avoided. So what are we supposed to do? Work to make your marriage get in on the good stuff, to keep it healthy, to keep it fun, to keep it loving, to make it last. And avoid divorce. And we saw some ways to do that in our Redefining Romance series. You know, especially if you're in a hard place, it's time to, to try to work at it. But somebody say, Pastor, what, what if it doesn't work? What about when it doesn't work? I mean, God has an ideal, but we live in a real world with hard hearts. That's what Jesus said, hard hearts. So what then when the hardness of heart Pounds in. Now, we might expect Jesus, Dr. Jesus, to kind of go easy on us, you know. He said, oh, you're in a bad marriage? Hey, get out. You know, God gives do-overs, no biggie. But he doesn't. Instead, he says something even more controversial, it seems. And it's in Mark, in Luke, in Matthew twice. Let's look at Matthew 19. I tell you that anyone who divorces, Jesus says, 
except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Whoa, what? What? Marries another woman, commits adultery. Verse 10, the disciples say, this is their woe. Hey, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, then it's better not to marry. Jesus says, not everyone can accept this word. I'm thinking, you think? Yeah. Okay, you heard him. And here's how it shows up in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 32. Anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever seen those verses before, but Jesus said them. And you're thinking, I'm not sure that helps me. I'm imagining those first hearing them. I mean, when they first came out of his mouth, and they're thinking, well, hey, at least there's the exception clause. You know, if I can get my spouse to be unfaithful, then I can get out of this so-called marriage I'm in. Is that too hard-hearted? Or maybe those men that threw that woman at Jesus' feet because she was caught in the act of adultery. John chapter eight. You know, I'm wondering if one of the guys back there holding the stones is saying, well, hey, you know, at least Joel can get out of his marriage clean because he's got cause now. You know, I'm saying that because that's how legalism thinks. That's how legalism hears these verses. And I'm not sure legalism is helpful here. Maybe that's what Jesus wants us to see. That legalism followed to its logical end makes things worse. That divorce sets in motion some actions that can't be undone. It's like standing dominoes that are tipped and now they just the consequences continue to fall in the future on people. I have talked to couples where the pain is such that a person in it just can't think, can't see beyond the thought of getting out. They can't see forward to future consequences. So I'm wondering if Jesus, this is, maybe he could just be saying, hey, heads up, wait a minute. I know it's hard, but you gotta think about this. Think about what's come. Think beyond today. Could Jesus be trying to say, hey, less pain if you stay and work it out, more if you don't, because you're taking it with you. So is Jesus saying again, hey, try to stay there and work it out. Maybe, hey, but then you're thinking, but what, what if they're the one being divorced? What if you're the one who your partner's saying, I'm out of here? What then? What does he mean that if you marry another, you're committing adultery? What? And they are too. You know, Mark Twain, Mark Twain once said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. Now, Twain wasn't big on biblical authority, but he could have been talking about this. Is Jesus saying remarriage makes me guilty of adultery? It looks like it, doesn't it? You see why this is hard? Has Jesus just smacked the scarlet letter on those innocent to the divorce? Now, scholars debate this, but, but let me tell you my view. And of course, you will have to make up your own mind about it, but it sounds to me like Jesus is saying, when God's ideal of marriage is broken, the adulteration gets on others. When God, God has an ideal for marriage. Now, I don't mean that legalistically. I believe the devil loves it when we pull verses out of context, interpret them legalistically, because as the accuser, the devil loves to shame and blame. He loves to smear stigma on, on people. 
But what if, what if Jesus is speaking by the purest definition of the word? See, God's dream for marriage is that it is an original work. Each marriage is an original work that involves an original man and an original woman, the first in this marriage, and joining together, coupled in a unique union. Okay, that's marriage. Now, adultery, by definition, adds a foreign element to the original equation. So to adulterate means to add an outside element to a mixture. What if Jesus is saying that when an original is dissolved, then any other mixture, by definition, is an adulteration? It's like a toxic splash that its splatter gets on other people around it. But is Jesus saying, I can't remarry? Well, some interpret it that way. I don't. I think the way forward for this sin is the same as for any other sin except the unpardonable one. The way forward through sin is through forgiveness. We turn our heart to God and experience forgiveness in a fresh way. The way to overcome hard hearts isn't by making a harder law, but by tasting the living water, receiving the irrigation of your soul from Jesus, from God's well. That's the way to a new start, living water in a dry heart. The way to a new start is to receive living water in your dry heart from God. That'll change your marriage. That'll change your future. But where do I get that? Jesus, John chapter four. John chapter four, story of a woman at a well. Uh, Jesus, when Jesus asks her about her husband, it comes out that she's been married four times. And now she's, the guy she's living with, not, not once, twice, three, four times. She was married four times, and now she's living with a guy unmarried. Now, some of us get that, frankly. You know, when you've been through the pain of divorce, once, uh, twice, uh, when you've witnessed your parents go through the pain of divorce and, and you see the pain, that pain can make you afraid of even getting into that opportunity. So you don't want that pain. Who wants more rejection in your life? And so here's what we imagine. It would just be easier to move in with somebody. You know, let's just, let's just uh, take it as it comes, see where it goes. And maybe we're thinking, hey, if I don't commit, then I've still got, the, I've got more power and maybe I will be able to have more protection from pain. I don't know if that's your story. And we don't really know her story. Here's what we know. It's the hottest part of the day, and she's gathering water at a well by herself. Gathering water is typically a social event that women do together at the coolest time of day, either in the early morning or the evening, and not at high noon. And yet here she is, scarlet letter lady, discarded not only by multiple men in her life, but by the women in town. And the Samaritan women at that, these are women who know how stigma feels because they have experienced that kind of rejection by the Jews all of their lives, treated as if they were morally inferior and adulterated by their ethnicity. Only now, for her, she's been rejected by the ones that who were also rejected. The rejected ones are now rejecting her. So what does Jesus tell her? Oh man, tough to be you. <laughs> Bad day for you, glad I'm not you. You're done. No, he says, John four, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God 
and who it is that's asking you for a drink, then you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He doesn't say your failures have disqualified you from a future. He doesn't say your sins have you now trapped for the rest of your life. No, he says God has a gift for you, and if you ask me, I'll give it to you. And that gift has a wonderful effect. Living water has a wonderful healing effect, not only on our hearts, on hard hearts, but also adulterated relationships, living water. Could you use some of that? In preparing this message, I spoke with several people who have experienced divorce. One was a devoted Christ follower who was divorced and abandoned by uh, when she was an expectant mother. Her husband, a believer, committed adultery. She wanted and tried to work it out. He didn't. Uh, she said it was like a nuclear bomb when he told me that he was leaving. So as a single mom, she's trying to sort through the damage. She wanted to be true to Jesus. She wanted to stay faithful to God. So she put obedience to God above her own feelings, and then she went and talked to her pastor about the verses that we just read. Did God give me one chance and now I can't remarry? Then I gotta raise my daughter by myself. She said, well, it took work and it took years, but God gave me peace. She said, I found hope and healing in Christ. And then six years later, she met and then married another Christian man. They're now active in ministry together at Christ's journey. She told me, though, you know, I said, wow, what a story. She said, you know, the story isn't about what happened to me. The story's about what God did with what happened to me. That wound, once bleeding, is now a scar. And then she said, you know what it is? It's not what's waiting for me at home that gives me life. It's the well of water that Jesus provides that gives me life. And then she told me this, you know, I see it, meaning the toxic splash and splatter from the divorce, I see it in my daughter, in her, uh, her not trusting men. It's like a mark that won't go away. And though I have more kids, I still have a child, now grown, that's the product of a divorce. And it shows up when I least expect it, like, the, like, uh, like thinking of uh, being in the same room with him and the hard feelings that have not yet been resolved. And then there's that reminder of him leaving and leaving us. She said, it's like being a cancer survivor and when you're declared clear of cancer, which she also is, she said you still have that thought of what if it comes back? You know what that is? That's adulteration downstream. And it flows from divorce, Jesus said. Now look at this, I have on my patio uh, orchids that never failed to amaze me. This one, it's a bundle of gnarly roots. It's unattractive. The leaves are scarred from some kind of attack. I mean, they've got holes through them, for goodness sake. Was that cold weather? Was that some bug or plant illness? Or maybe it's just neglect by me, you know? I just wasn't taking good care of it. And yet, look at this. I pull up and took this picture. Beauty defying ugliness. Listen, God does that with us. Our divine gardener, 
With our wounds, with our scars, Jesus' nail-scarred hands reaches right into our sins and our wounds and the, the ones that we do ourselves and the ones that are done to us, he reaches right into them and takes them into himself. Our shame, our suffering, that old rugged cross is an emblem of suffering and shame and on it the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain and now Jesus' scars tell me I'm loved. I'm not alone. I'm embraced even in my disgrace. And I can be free through Christ if I want to. If I will come to him from the ugliness of my life, God can bring beauty, defying the hurt and then helping those downstream from the decision even the traumatizing sin of divorce. Now in Mark chapter 10, you know where Jesus, when he's confronted by the legalists about divorce, after he makes this statement, the next thing he gives attention to are the children. You know, others aren't thinking about them. The, the, the ones challenging him aren't thinking about it. His own disciples weren't thinking about it, but Jesus has got the children on his mind. He says, let the children come to me. Maybe your family needs to hear this. Maybe you're a child of divorce. You need to hear this. Jesus says, let the children come to me. And he took them in his arms and he touched them and he blessed them. That's what God wants for you. And look at this. Oh, my goodness. That's my newest little grandson, Cedar, and his big brother, West. There's not a child that God doesn't want to bless, you included. And so he says, you should come as a child and his blessing will come to you. You can bring your brokenness to him and he will give you living water. And maybe that's the single application for today, that that's what he's inviting you to do, that that's what he's inviting you to share. Even if this message has felt like a kick in your gut, you know, what if, what if you, this has been hard to sit here and listen to, right? Okay, listen, listen, Jesus is full full of grace and truth. Now, if something has come up in his truth for you, it may be because God wants to help you, that God wants to bring grace into that pain to help you face it. That when God, when God brings past pain and makes it present in our lives, sometimes the Holy Spirit brings up past feelings. You know why? so that he can clean the wound in a fresh way and remind you how special you are, of how close he is, that God is close to the brokenhearted. You're close to him. You're special to him. If your heart is sad and hurting today, then Jesus has a fresh drink from the living water well for you. And your church family is here as well. We want to come alongside marriages families and help us become stronger, help us get connected in healing ways. We want to help. Pastors are available for prayer, for safe conversation. You want to gather after an experience or talk to one of them about this. We have group support. We have counselors available. We got workshops coming. If you check out the Christ Journey app today, you'll see discussion tools there and helps for strengthening marriage and for parents with kids. But here's the thing. The thing about shame is that when you pull the covers back and expose it, it has a way of going away. So maybe 
Maybe God has brought it up so that you can share it with your group and let them pray over you about this and watch it go away together that, that his grace can meet you there because he wants Christ's journey to be a place where shame meets grace, where it's okay to not be okay. So here's what I want us all to hear. If you call Christ's journey your home, there is no disgrace. God can't out grace. No disgrace. God can't out grace. Nothing is too hard for God. God is a God of new beginnings, and what the evil one wanted to make for harm, God can turn to good. He is a God of blessing, and where there has been trauma and shame, God can bring grace and healing. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your forgiving and redeeming grace. We thank you for your liberating truth. And we thank you even for the places of pain in our lives and our hearts and our relationships and our families. That we can bring them to you and that your scars speak of your love, of your sensitivity to us and how you can meet us at the wound and take us into grace. We pray that for each person today. We pray strengthening for marriages. We pray guidance and comfort for those struggling. We pray help and healing for those who are sensing and reliving experiences of divorce in their life. And we pray now that you would embrace us with your arms around us, your spirit within us, your hand of blessing upon us. And friend, if, if this is the day of salvation for you, that God is calling you out and you know that he wants to meet you in your pain and you'd like to say, Lord, I'm listening, I'm here, then may I lead a prayer, you can join me in it. Lord Jesus, thank you that those scars on your hand and on your side and on your head and on your feet have love in them for me that you can meet me in my wounded place and that you bring healing and forgiving grace. Forgive my sins, come into my life and lead me that I might ex start experiencing the fullness of your grace in the doing of your will today. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, our heads are still bowed just for a moment and you would allow me to ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith would you simply raise your hand? If you're joining us online, you can click on that banner right on the screen before you. But our campuses, Kendall Campus, Cables Campus, thank you. Lord Jesus, for every person who by uplifted hand is saying, my heart is open and I'm trusting you in the forgiveness of sins to fill my life with your life. Thank you. May they sense and taste the fresh blessing of living water as we make our prayer in your name, amen.